0: Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight.
1: In the richest country in the world, 41 million people don't have the food they need to survive and thrive. Why? I get asked this often, followed by a qualifying question. Is it a supply issue, Phil? Isn't there enough food for everyone? Simplicity has a clarifying quality to it, but it is also fraught with dangerous, quick fix-it bumper sticker platitudes that make solving a huge multifaceted problem like hunger seem simple. There is enough food. So why are people hungry in the richest country in the world? Despite Feeding America, our national organization, Despite Feeding America's network reaching every county in the U.S. and distributing 4.2 billion meals to 46 million people each year, too many Americans are still hungry. The Food Bank Council of Michigan is strategically placing the family who is food insecure at the center of our decision-making, and as a result, we are gaining new insights about our work from them as well as some of the challenges as we march toward the goal of creating a food-secure Michigan. For people who face hunger, there are at least three difficult-to-solve problems associated with their experience. One, not having the money to buy enough nutritious food. Two, managing the personal crisis of being in need. We talk about trade-offs and the emotional struggles of going to work every day knowing that you will not earn enough for your family. Number three, facing biases that exist in our society about people who need help makes a future free from hunger difficult to reach. I think there are challenges we face as leaders of the movement to create food security across our state and nation. One is leadership. The bigger the problem, the larger the need for leadership capacity and we have to grow ourselves. Two, lack of integrated thinking and not linking programs. I'm talking about thinking about the problem differently. And thirdly, culture. I understand that culture eats everything else for lunch, and I mean everything. There is nothing stronger than culture, and culture is simply the way things are. And to change the way things are is like turning an ocean liner in a bathtub. It is the most difficult leadership challenge anyone will ever face. Culture originates from our thinking, and as a person thinks, so is he, or she, as the axiom goes. We are thinking about solving hunger, and it's not that our thinking is wrong. We just aren't thinking as well as we need to think. We are not evolving fast enough in our thoughts to meet the crisis and solve it. We've learned a lot, but there are entrenched cultural biases fueled by our underdeveloped thinking that exists both in the world of people who are doing this work as well as in our political world. This dangerous thinking threatens our ability to ensure hungry neighbors with children and grandparents are food secure. These biases are materialized currently in the threats to the social contract, proposed cuts to SNAP funding. On one side sits advocates who believe more resources, food and money, to people in need would solve the problem. And on the other, there are equally strong cultural biases that blame people for being in need. One of the hardest challenges any leader faces is to help people where they are at and not where you wish they were. Wow. This cultural divide is gaping, but I believe it can be closed. If we are willing to think and think better than we've ever thought before. Here to help us understand the cultural divide and how it affects food security in our nation is Kerry Calvert from the Feeding America offices in Washington, D.C. Come back and be with Kerry, Jerry Brisson, and I in just
0: a moment as we continue on Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan visit org. Welcome back, everyone.
1: It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brassan and I are in the studio, and on the phone, Carrie Calvert, who is the Managing Director for Government Relations with Feeding America in Washington, D.C., and a regular contributor to our show. Carrie, welcome back to Food for Thought.
2: Well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's great to have you, and um, I know that um, there's a uh, lot of stuff going on in dc and uh particularly around the farm bill and uh that's a vital interest to us and our work and our mission to create food security across the state so could you give us a quick update on uh what you think's going to happen in regard to the farm bill in the next couple of days and weeks to come
3: or probably before we get too deep to reef what is the farm bill we probably should start with just reminding people what is yeah, the farm bill point. so that when we get to the updates we you know, everyone can follow yeah. along
1: but I live in the weeds i'm sorry <laughs> great
2: so, no yeah. let's drag everybody the, you know else what? into the
3: weeds
1: with us
2: we do as well so why should people care about the farm bill well if you like to eat food and you want to make sure you have access to enough safe and nutritious food um, to to nourish yourself and your family, you should care about the Farm Bill. Uh, So Congress uh, reauthorizes or gives programs permission to operate um, every five years, and the Farm Bill covers um, food production policy, land conservation, nutrition programs, all of these things It is a very big bill, and sometimes it takes multiple years to reach agreement and pass, but it covers so much of um, food production, food costs, food access in our country that um, I can't think of a a single piece of legislation that's uh, more important to the work that we do um, every day. And I want to
3: add that the Farm Bill uniquely... Connects the people producing the food with people who are going without. It is, it is one of the really powerful parts of policy to make those connections because farmers who need certain kinds of help in order to make farming viable, and we all need farming to be viable, are some of the most supportive people for the people that we're trying to help who don't have enough to eat. And so this connection between the food that gets produced and people who need a little bit of help in the their life to get enough food. That has been one of the strongest elements of the farm bill from its very inception.
2: Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting as the um, number of people that live in rural parts of our country goes down and the number of members of Congress that represent strictly rural areas goes down, you know, it's really been necessary to pair um, farm policy with Uh, nutrition programs that help communities in need to have an alliance of urban, suburban, and rural um, members of Congress that support the Farm Bill. So uh, the last Farm Bill took an extra two years to get done, and um, we saw a lot of ups and downs during that process. So one of the questions we have is, what's going to happen this time? Um, With Congress returning from spring recess this week, It's rumored that the chair of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway from Texas, will be introducing his draft bill this week and trying to mark it up or consider it and vote for it in the committee on April 18th. Now... The unknowns are, in the press, it's been reported that the Democrats on the committee have not all seen the bill, and many Republicans on the committee have not seen the bill yet. And so they have not been able to reach agreement on some of the provisions around nutrition programs, mostly around SNAP. So uh, it's not necessarily a good sign to start off with such disagreements, and we're hoping that members can come back from the recess and work together to see if a bipartisan House Farm Bill is possible.
3: Now, I know that there's probably among some of our listeners a skepticism when it comes to bipartisan. Even that word, I think, is uh, thought of as, really, is it even possible? And I, I think it is, again, important to say that historically, bipartisan support for the Farm Bill has been achieved. Even in some of the more difficult um, political years where there are a lot of other things being juggled, there has traditionally been strong bipartisan support for the Farm Bill.
1: It, it, it has been, but it's taken a while to get there. That's right. You know, that uh, eventually we can get them to come to the table. But, Kerry, um, the question I have is, is there a strategic element to why congressmen... Um, would would keep parts or if not all of the farm bill um held back from even his own committee members
2: you know I think he wants to make sure that um that he has alignment on what the bill is going to do before he releases it, it's fairly common for the chair and the ranking to keep the bill text close until they come to an agreement. Since they haven't reached an agreement, it hasn't been shared out broadly. I think one of the challenges is uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan would like to see some significant changes to work provisions in the SNAP program as part of the House Farm Bill, and that is going to make it very hard to have a bipartisan vote on the bill. So uh, we're hoping that the Agriculture Committee is able to work together to reach agreement on this, separate from the, um, the pressures of House leadership on either side, since historically, that's when we've seen the stronger farm, you know, a way forward to have a bipartisan Farm Bill. Uh, but a bit of bright news on the Senate side, uh, both, um, the ranking member of the committee, um, Michigan's own, uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow, as well as the chairman of the Senate Agriculture Committee, uh, Pat Roberts of Kansas have been working very closely together. Um, members have said that they are hoping to see a 70 votes in favor of the Senate bill, when it is considered, now it's easy to say that because they haven't finished writing their draft yet. Uh, <laughs> so they're in the aspirational and hopeful phase of that. Yeah. The staff <laughs> have been working together very closely, um, on what that language is and on, um, you know, what all of the members on the committee need to, to get a farm bill done and how, um, you know, how they can Pass a farm bill that that helps both the growers and producers uh, in states nationwide, as well as people in need.
1: So we've been privileged here in Michigan to host Senator Roberts, and along, of course with our own Senator uh, Stabenow. Uh, and it was a very it was a very productive meeting. I think it was great for Senator Roberts to make the trip from Kansas to be here with us and and see the absolute power of Michigan agriculture. So she's Carrie Calvert, he's Jerry Basson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're going to come back and talk more about the Farm Bill and other issues coming out of Washington, D.C. that affect our ability to create food security across the state of Michigan. You come back and be with us in just a moment.
0: It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back. It's Food for Thought.
1: Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio. And we're talking with our regular contributor, Carrie Calvert, who is the Managing Director for Government Relations in Feeding America out of Washington, D.C. And we've just talked a lot about the Farm Bill. And Carrie, one of the things that uh, is included in the Farm Bill is uh, a phrase that gets thrown around, policy about work requirements. Can you enlighten us uh, and our listeners a little bit about what work requirements we're talking about, and exactly what they are.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, in the SNAP program, there are work requirements. There are some populations that are exempt from them: uh, senior citizens, children, people that are disabled, um, adults that are in a full-time caretaking role, like parents. Uh, but. Specifically, if you're an able-bodied adult without dependents, you are. Um, SNAP has work requirements, which means that you must be working at least 20 hours a week or participating in an eligible job training program at least 20 hours a week uh, to receive SNAP benefits. If you are not, you are limited to 90 days of SNAP benefits every three years. So, one of the things that I I know in in Michigan you've been thinking a lot about and we think a lot about at Feeding America is um, for people that are looking for a job, you know, what is the intervention that will help them in their path towards um, financial security and independence? And one of our concerns is that some of the proposals that could be included in the House Farm Bill uh, don't necessarily look at some of the challenges we're seeing with um, people that are looking for work, whether it's, um, you know, are there enough employment and training programs? Are there enough jobs locally? I mean, you can train someone for a job, but that does not mean that they will be able to find a job. Um, you know, how, how will um, workforce participation interact with, um, child care support they might be getting or other supports that, that help their family. So I think uh, there's a lot of unknowns, and we want to be sure that any changes uh, don't have negative consequences for those that we're, we're serving. We want to, to help people, not um, support policy changes that are going to worsen food insecurity and make it harder for them to to find and keep a job.
3: Right. I think, the you know, what I'm hearing from what you just said is we have to be able to define what is success, right? So is success keeping people off of SNAP? Is that success? If that's how you define success, well, this is one way to do it. But if success is really watching people go from a place of dependence to independence – then we've got to be able to measure that. We have to have a way to watch that carefully so we know that the policies we're enacting are having the desired impact, right? And I think we fear, particularly in this country, you know, there's a strong Judeo-Christian belief in work. Those who do not work should not eat. It's right there in St. Paul. And so it is a very strong sentiment that people who are getting something for free— Ought to be working for that. And there's a lot of value in that idea. But when you start to legislate around it, legislation doesn't like exceptions, but the world is full of them. And that's what we see in our pantries. And it's why I I agree with you wholeheartedly. We have to be very careful when we legislate uh, broadly that it's really accomplishing the things we say we want it to accomplish
2: yeah I think that's exactly right when we look at some of the studies that are out there regarding um uh you know adults without dependents that are searching for for jobs and some of the the barriers that that they have you know we found there you know there's a lot of um you know some might might have a a a criminal record that that's making um employment challenging some might have um you know, child care or elder care or other family demands that are making things challenging. Some are functionally illiterate, or, you know, there's a, a mismatch between the job training they do have and the jobs that are available. Uh, so in other states, um, you know, I think Maine had enacted some time limits on um, work requirements, and they, they did a study and they found that actually, you know, 11% of the people that should have been kept on the program were removed due to state administrative mistakes. So I think that there's a, a very real need to proceed cautiously here. Um, I haven't heard as much concern about um, people that... Are working and do qualify for SNAP, but I, I think we do need to recognize that there are also a lot of people that may be, you know, seasonally employed or have fluctuations in the amount of hours they work. Maybe they're going back to school, and so they're working anywhere from 15 to 25 hours per week. You know, you may be working enough to qualify for, for SNAP for several months, uh, and that may change in the next several months. So there's a lot of ups and downs with people that are um, cyclically employed or part-time employed for various reasons that can uh, factor into this and have a really big impact on the resources people have to address food insecurity and hunger. And I think if we remember that the, the core of it, SNAP, is a critically successful food insecurity program, then that helps frame how we consider policy changes. SNAP is not a job training program. Uh, The last Farm Bill funded employment and training pilots to better connect SNAP participants with workforce participation, I am eager to see USDA's findings and what that report is. I think that can identify a lot of areas for us to consider as positive improvements.
1: You know, we could sit here and talk about the exceptions, and I think you said that very eloquently, Jerry, that, you know, the world that we live in, the world that we serve, is full of exceptions. And I think that that is the challenge when you're when you're creating broad legislation which goes to the fact that possibly creating that giving the states the flexibility to create this policy within these parameters is you know is is one thought that that really would help to put the power where where of decision making where it goes which is to the caseworker who's having to deal with these exceptions and these people and understand their situation on a case by case basis so Just a thought there. And, you know, there's like a dissertation here of material that we could talk about. But I think that it Mm is it is fundamental that that to help people get to self-sufficiency, which is how we define success in one way, is SNAP is a huge help in their life. But when programs have policies that that serve the opposite goal there. We want people to become self-sufficient, but as soon as they become a bit successful in their life, in their history, in their work, then we pull that leverage out from under them and they no longer have it anymore. And so what we've done is set them up to fail and we've trapped them in poverty, Rather than having a program that stays in a person's life for a longer duration so it continued to be a leverage for them. And Jerry's thought, that we talk about on the show sometimes is, you know, what if this problem was solved in people's lives? How successful would they be if just food, just taking hunger off the table happened? And SNAP and food security and work requirements are all a part of that.
3: And when you look at the cost of providing food versus the cost of policing... Which is really when you start adding, you know, requirements, you've got to police those requirements and that has an administrative cost. It doesn't take long before the cost to police the problem is significantly more than the cost to solve it. (laughs) I mean, so I could not agree with you more. We have to be very careful. And again, not to say all we let's the problem of food insecurity is not solved. And we would be foolish not to consider any thoughts that might drive our thinking further including work requirements. But as we do that, we have to be mindful of all these other things so that we create systems that actually work. Absolutely.
1: I agree more. We got, we've got we got more to talk about here on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. We're with Carrie Calvert, Managing Director for Government Relations out of our Washington, D.C. office with Feeding America. The three of us will be back here on Food for Thought in just a couple of minutes. Come
0: back and be with us. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to follow us at
1: foodsecuremichigan.org and catch up with all of our shows as well. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. We're talking with Kerry Calvert, the Managing Director for Government Relations in Feeding America at our D.C. office. Kerry, what else? Is going on in DC that affects our work?
2: Well you might have heard that there are some trade issues happening and you know um, we don't always realize it but trade issues really impact food prices and food security and have an impact on our ability to help people in need. So we started off earlier this year with a lot of attention on NAFTA and how that was being renegotiated. And now there's been a lot more focus on ag and tariffs and what trade tariffs on um, food commodities that we grow here in the U.S. Uh, mean for you know companies and growers in our country. But what we really haven't heard a lot about is what it means for food consumers, especially people that are are low-income and struggling with food insecurity. Um, So, you know, tariffs in general, um, you know, a friend of mine uh, who's an ag economist said, tariffs are like taxes by another name. And certainly when you look at the impact that tariffs may have, um, we really think they could drive up food prices. but we also recognize that uh, they're going to put pressure on growers and producers and um, make it more challenging for our food banks to have access uh, for the food that we need to help communities in need. So, uh, USDA works in partnership with growers and producers to provide market support when, you, know, let's say there's, there's um, you know, a bumper crop on, on corn this year, and there's going to be a huge surplus. And corn producers are really going to be struggling because there's such a big surplus and prices will be low. Well USDA will make a a market support purchase and so that provides uh, stability to the marketplace and the excess food is distributed through Feeding America Food Bank members including those in Michigan. So it's a win-win. There's um, stability provided to our nation's food producers which is so important to make sure we continue to have have um, you know enough nutritious food grown in our country and it increases uh, the fruits and vegetables and other products that we are able to distribute to families in need. Um, so one of the challenges is um, you know how can um, USDA, help growers and producers that might get hit with a tariff. One of their options is to buy some of the products that um, would be impacted by the tariffs and distribute them through the uh, TFAP program through the Feeding America network of food banks. And, again, that would help um, both growers and producers and would help people dealing with food insecurity. And so much of what the Feeding American Network and our food bank members uh, really do is look at public-private partnerships and how we can connect the two and really maximize the impact that uh, programs like this can have on communities in need. We think this is one way uh, that we could work together. Can you give us just issue.
3: a couple examples of products that that are being considered or have already been impacted by tariffs, food products. Do we have any examples?
2: Um, There's a couple, I think, uh, soy, corn, uh, walnuts, a few others, some other um, grains as well. Wheat uh, potentially uh, are expected to be impacted. Um, I know, I think it was, was it last year when there were a lot of apples, actually, some of the mm-hmm. Michigan apples yep. that uh, there were, um, you know, they had a surplus of. USDA was able to purchase those and distribute them through our food bank network. Um, for fruits and vegetables, because that, um, you know, the harvest is not in yet, so to speak, literally and figuratively, we, really, we don't know what surplus there might be, but um, meat, grain, and some nuts are typically exported. So all of those are in the realm of things that could be impacted right now. Another issue is dairy. You know, when we have, um, dairy is more impacted by NAFTA negotiations, but when there's surplus dairy like there is right now, um, and there's just not a, a contract for that dairy on the retail market, uh, certainly I don't have to tell you, um, how limited fluid milk is in our our network right now and how critically important it is. You know, anytime there's a a donation or a a low-cost purchase opportunity for fluid milk, uh, I know food banks are very, very interested in that because it's not something we get a lot of.
3: And it's one of the most requested items, Right. right? You know, people want it, and they request it. And USDA says uh, we're supposed to get three servings of dairy a day, and a lot of kids are going with one. So it's an area of nutritious need as well as desirability, and there's a market surplus. So a real opportunity here to think about how we leverage all of these things to create solutions around food security, and I think that's a very interesting point.
1: I think it's important, too, to note that, How do you evaluate programs, policies, and in regard to the advocacy lens that, you know, obviously Kerry, as a managing director, is is thinking about there in Washington, D.C.? And so, you know, for me, I got to put the cookies on the lower shelf, right? And so if it's a policy, a program, a piece of legislation that helps our mission, obviously I'm for it. If it's going to make our work harder and then my enthusiasm level is going to drop quite a bit. And, you know, that's a pretty simplistic way to look at it, but it's a way that I, I do have to think about this because there's I'm sure there's a lot of us who are riding around in our vehicles listening to WJR going, I've never really made the connection between tariffs and food security like Carrie has just made for us.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I think... I always like to look for the silver lining. I'm a glass half full type of person. And, you know, I think one of the um, educational opportunities here and and something that I've seen um, you know, Farmers for Free Trade and, and other groups like that, and uh, many of our, our agriculture partners that we work with quite a bit do very successfully is really you know, educate the American public on, here's where your food comes from, here's what it takes to to grow affordable, nutritious food, help us continue to make sure that we can do that, that, you know, we have the right policies in place to help us do that. And, um, you know, we already work so much with growers and producers. I think it's a natural partnership to look at how we can continue to do so. Um, we need a strong farm bill that, um, and, you know, federal policies that help support access to nutritious food, access to nutritious food. Um they succeed as well you know to the extent that they're able to you know produce as much food as they as they safely and affordably can in our country and connect it with um you know people and audiences that can use it whether it's domestically through retail or food donation or nutrition program outlets or internationally um you know, America used to be called the breadbasket to the world. I don't know if we still have that official designation, but we have the potential to produce so much food in this country. And I think when we look at, you know, certainly domestic food insecurity, which is the, the lens we look um, through, but, you know, a lot of our partners are also focused on international food insecurity, and we don't want to lose track of sort of our... Our um, combined responsibility to right. to consider that and to make sure that we're supporting things that um, that are going to have a positive impact in that area. You
3: know, I also want to point out that um, one of the things that that we're trying to change the conversation around is who benefits when hunger is solved. And one of the things that you just talked about is all of the systems that come together around growing food and that growing food is a risky thing to do. When you make an investment in that as your lifestyle, you're taking some risks. And the smaller your farm is, the higher the risk, of course. So fundamentally, some of the people that benefit the most as we try to deal with food insecurity our farmers mm-hmm. right sure. i mean and by by making policies that connect the right dots which the farm bill has traditionally done we're broadening who succeeds when food security is achieved and uh, and that is a really important part of our conversation we know healthcare succeeds we know education succeeds we know businesses succeed and farming is one huge example of a business that succeeds when we do this right all right you too
1: you I gotta cut you off here because we gotta pay some bills. But great conversation, Jerry and Carrie Calvert. Thank you so much for being with us. Carrie, you're the managing director for government relations in Feeding America. And Jerry and I and our listening audience want to say thank you for standing in the gap there in DC in regard to these policies that help us feed our hungry neighbors here in Michigan. Jerry and I'll be back to recap in just a moment. You come back and be with us.
0: food for thought with dr phil knight presented by the food bank council of michigan once again here's dr phil knight welcome back everyone jerry
1: brisson what are your thoughts about farm bill tariffs and i mean for me i think about the farm bill i've never really thought about tariffs and how they impact our food industry and therefore therefore our ability to create food security
3: well, my thoughts are going, you know, one one level up from even that, and uh, probably one of the most difficult things we're addressing is that we have such a great economy in so many ways, and by so many measures, it's sure. one of the best economies we've had in a long time, and yet... just Particularly in, here in Michigan. Yeah, and just in southeast Michigan, we have still 700,000 food insecure people, and so I, I, I think that Being aware of the impact of our policies is more important now than really even normal because it looks like people shouldn't need as much help when the economy is so good, and yet they still do. So that's a challenge and an opportunity. And if we're going to really solve this problem, we've got to We've got to understand both what is the challenge and what is the opportunity and apply the right resources in the right ways to be successful. And that is a huge challenge. So
1: it's it's it doesn't compute.
3: (laughs) It doesn't make sense, does it,
1: to have such a small unemployment rate, five percent or so here in Michigan. And yet our network distributed more food last year than it has in its history. Right. Those two things don't make any sense to us. So we've got to, you know, peel the layers off that
3: onion to understand the why, which means that we're going to have to think more and better and bring partners to the table who understand things we don't understand today and so that's the path that's how you change this conversation defining success we talked about that in the interview with carrie we've got to be very good about defining success knowing how to measure it and making sure that what we're doing is achieving the things we want to achieve
1: absolutely well it's time for a little food for thought I refuse to believe a man-made ill cannot be solved by its creator. Mankind has created the inequity, the system, and the difficulty in people having access to healthy, nutritious foods. If we created it, we can solve it. Albert Einstein said, We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. The ability we have to change our culture by changing our thinking, along with our leadership capacity, will determine our level of effectiveness. Here at Food for Thought, we are changing the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. We are doing so by evolving in our thinking, growing in our leadership, and building a culture that dwells on what's possible and not just the impossible. Well, thanks for listening today, and thanks to our guest, Carrie Calvert, our producer, Mark Blackwell, our sponsor, Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, and to my esteemed and published co-host, Jerry Brisson, who just wrote an op-ed that appeared in the Detroit News. You can find it online. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Find me on Twitter at DrPhil14, and find all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. Until next time, remember... It's food first, folks. Food first.
0: Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.